Book One, Chapter Three, Sections Six through Eight of The Food of the Gods and How It Came to Earth by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Catherine Eastman. Six. When the expedition had finished refreshment, the night had fully come. The stars were at their brightest, and a growing pallor towards Hanky heralded the moon. The watch on the rat-holes had been maintained, but the watchers had shifted to the hill-slope above the holes, feeling this a safer firing point. They squatted there in a rather abundant dew, fighting the damp with whiskey. The others rested in the house, and the three leaders discussed the night's work with the men. The moon rose towards midnight, and as soon as it was clear of the downs, every one except the rat-hole sentinels started off in single file, led by Cosser, towards the wasp's nest. So far as the wasp's nest went, they found their task exceptionally easy, astonishingly easy. Except that it was a longer labor, it was no graver affair than any common wasp's nest might have been. Danger there was, no doubt, danger to life, but it never so much as thrust its head out of that portentous hillside. They stuffed in the sulfur and nitre, they bunged the holes soundly, and fired their trains. Then, with a common impulse, all the party but Cosser turned and ran athwart the long shadows of the pines, and, finding Cosser had stayed behind, came to a halt together in a knot, a hundred yards away, convenient to a ditch that offered cover. Just for a minute or two, the moonlit night, all black and white, was heavy with a suffocated buzz that rose and mingled to a roar, a deep, abundant note, and culminated and died, and then, almost incredibly, the night was still. "'By Jove!' said Bensington, almost in a whisper. "'It's done!' All stood intent. The hillside above the black point lace of the pine shadows seemed as bright as day and as colorless as snow. The setting plaster in the holes positively shone. Cosser's loose framework moved towards them. "'So far,' said Cosser. "'Crack! Bang!' A shot from near the house, and then stillness. "'What's that?' said Bensington. "'One of the rats put its head out,' suggested one of the men. "'By the by, we left our guns up there,' said Redwood. "'By the sacks.' Everyone began to walk towards the hill again. "'That must be the rats,' said Bensington. "'Obviously,' said Cosser, gnawing his fingernails. "'Bang!' "'Hello?' said one of the men. Then, abruptly, there came a shout, two shots, a loud shout that was almost a scream, three shots in rapid succession, and a splintering of wood. All these sounds were very clear and very small in the immense stillness of the night. Then, for some moments, nothing but a minute, muffled confusion from the direction of the rat-holes, and then again a wild yell. Each man found himself running hard for the guns. Two shots. Bensington found himself, gun in hand, going hard through the pine trees after a number of receding backs. It is curious that the thought uppermost in his mind at that moment was the wish that his cousin Jane could see him. His bulbous slashed boots flew out in wild strides, 
and his face was distorted into a permanent grin, because that wrinkled his nose and kept his glasses in place. Also he held the muzzle of his gun projecting straight before him as he flew through the checkered moonlight. The man who had run away met them full tilt. He had dropped his gun. "'Hello?' said Cosser, and caught him in his arms. "'What's this?' "'They came out together,' said the man. "'The rats?' "'Yes, six of them.' "'Where's Flack?' "'Down.' "'What's he say?' panted Bensington, coming up unheeded. "'Flack's down.' "'He fell down. "'They came out one after the other. "'What?' "'Made a rush. "'I fired both barrels first. "'You left Flack.' "'They were on to us.' "'Come on,' said Cosser. "'You come with us. "'Where's Flack? "'Show us.' "'The whole party moved forward.' Further details of the engagement dropped from the man who had run away. The others clustered about him, except Cosser, who led. "'Where are they?' "'Back in their holes, perhaps. I cleared. They made a rush for their holes.' "'What do you mean? Did you get behind them?' "'We got down by their holes. Saw them come out, you know, and tried to cut them off. They lolloped out like rabbits. We ran down and let fly.' They ran about wild after our first shot and suddenly came at us, went for us. How many? Six or seven. Cosser led the way to the edge of the pine wood and halted. Do you mean they got Flack? asked someone. One of them was on to him. Didn't you shoot? How could I? Everyone loaded, said Cosser over his shoulder. There was a confirmatory movement. "'But Flack,' said one. "'Dear mean, Flack,' said another. "'There's no time to lose,' said Cosser, and shouted, "'Flack!' as he led the way. The whole force advanced towards the rat-holes, the man who had run away a little to the rear. They went forward through the rank, exaggerated weeds, and skirted the body of the second dead rat. They were extended in a bunchy line, each man with his gun pointing forward, and they peered about them in the clear moonlight for some crumpled, ominous shape, some crouching form. They found the gun of the man who had run away very speedily. "'Flack!' cried Crosser. "'Flack!' "'He ran past the nettles and fell down,' volunteered the man who ran away. "'Where?' "'Round about there.' "'Where did he fall?' He hesitated and led them athwart the long black shadows for a space and turned judicially. About here, I think. Well, he's not here now. But his gun... Confound it! swore Cosser. Where's everything got to? He strode a step towards the black shadows on the hillside that masked the holes and stood staring. Then he swore again. If they have dragged him in... So they hung for a space, tossing each other the fragments of thoughts. Bensington's glasses flashed like diamonds as he looked from one to the other. The men's faces changed from cold clearness to mysterious obscurity as they turned them to or from the moon. Everyone spoke, no one completed a sentence. Then abruptly Cosser chose his line. He flapped limbs this way and that, and expelled orders in pellets. It was obvious he wanted lamps. Everyone except Cosser was moving towards the house. 
"'You're going into the holes?' asked Redwood. "'Obviously,' said Cosser. He made it clear once more that the lamps of the cart and trolley were to be got and brought to him. Bensington, grasping this, started off along the path by the well. He glanced over his shoulder and saw Cosser's gigantic figure standing out, as if he were regarding the holes pensively. At the sight, Bensington halted for a moment and half-turned. They were all leaving Cosser. Cosser was able to take care of himself, of course. Suddenly, Bensington saw something that made him shout a windless, Hi! In a second, three rats had projected themselves from the dark tangle of the creeper towards Cosser. For three seconds, Cosser stood unaware of them, and then he had become the most active thing in the world. He didn't fire his gun. Apparently he had no time to aim or to think of aiming. He ducked a leaping rat, Bensington saw, and then smashed at the back of its head with the butt of his gun. The monster gave one leap and fell over itself. Cosser's form went right down out of sight among the reedy grass, and then he rose again, running towards another of the rats and whirling his gun overhead. A faint shout came to Bensington's ears, and then he perceived the remaining two rats bolting divergently, and Cosser in pursuit towards the holes. The whole thing was an affair of misty shadows. All three fighting monsters were exaggerated and made unreal by the delusive clearness of the light. At moments Cosser was colossal, at moments invisible. The rats flashed athwart the eye in sudden unexpected leaps, or ran with a movement of the feet so swift they seemed to run on wheels. It was all over in half a minute. No one saw it but Bensington. He could hear the others behind him still receding towards the house. He shouted something inarticulate and then ran back towards Cosser while the rats vanished. He came up to him outside the holes. In the moonlight, the distribution of shadows that constituted Cosser's visage intimated calm. Hello, said Cosser. Back already? Where's the lamps? They're all back now in their holes. One I broke the neck of as it ran past me. See? There. And he pointed a gaunt finger. Bensington was too astonished for conversation. The lamps seemed an interminable time in coming. At last they appeared, first one unwinking luminous eye, preceded by a swaying yellow glare, and then, winking now and then, and then shining out again, two others. About them came little figures with little voices, and then enormous shadows. This group made, as it were, a spot of inflammation upon the gigantic dreamland of moonshine. Flack, said the voices, Flack. An illuminating sentence floated up. Locked himself in the attic. Cosser was continually more wonderful. He produced great handfuls of cotton wool and stuffed them in his ears. Bensington wondered why. Then he loaded his gun with a quarter charge of powder. Who else could have thought of that? Wonderland culminated with the disappearance of Cosser's twin realms of boot sole up the central hole. Cosser was on all fours with two guns, one trailing on each side from a string under his chin, and his most trusted assistant, a little dark man with a grave face, was to go in stooping behind him, holding a lantern over his head. Everything had been made as sane and obvious and proper as a lunatic's dream. The wool, it seems, was on account of the concussion of the rifle. The man had some, too. 
obviously. So long as the rats turned tail on Cosser, no harm could come to him, and directly they headed for him, he would see their eyes and fire between them. Since they would have to come down the cylinder of the hole, Cosser could hardly fail to hit them. It was, Cosser insisted, the obvious method, a little tedious, perhaps, but absolutely certain. As the assistant stooped to enter, Bensington saw that the end of a ball of twine had been tied to the tail of his coat. By this he was to draw in the rope, if it should be needed, to drag out the bodies of the rats. Bensington perceived that the object he held in his hand was Cosser's silk hat. How had it got there? It would be something to remember him by, anyhow. At each of the adjacent holes stood a little group with a lantern on the ground shining up the hole, and with one man kneeling and aiming at the round void before him, waiting for anything that might emerge. There was an interminable suspense. Then they heard Cosser's first shot, like an explosion in a mine. Everyone's nerves and muscles tightened at that, and bang, bang, bang! The rats had tried a bolt, and two more were dead. Then the man who held the ball of twine reported a twitching. "'He's killed one in there,' said Bensington, "'and he wants the rope.' He watched the rope creep into the hole, and it seemed as though it had become animated by a serpentine intelligence, for the darkness made the twine invisible. At last it stopped crawling, and there was a long pause. Then what seemed to Bensington the queerest monster of all crept slowly from the hole, and resolved itself into the little engineer emerging backwards. After him, and ploughing deep furrows, Cosser's boots thrust out, and then came his lantern illuminated back. Only one rat was left alive now, and this poor, doomed wretch cowered in the inmost recesses until Cosser and the lantern went in again and slew it, and finally Cosser, that human ferret, went through all the runs to make sure. We got him, he said to his nearly awe-stricken company at last. And if I hadn't been a mud-headed mucker, I should have stripped to the waist, obviously. Feel my sleeves, Bensington. I'm wet through with perspiration. Jolly hard to think of everything. Only a halfway up of whiskey can save me from a cold. 7. There were moments during that wonderful night when it seemed to Bensington that he was planned by nature for a life of fantastic adventure. This was particularly the case for an hour or so after he had taken a stiff whiskey. "'Shan't go back to Sloane Street,' he confided to the tall, fair, dirty engineer. "'You won't, eh?' "'No fear,' said Bensington, nodding darkly. The exertion of dragging the seven dead rats to the funeral pyre by the nettle grove left him bathed in perspiration, and Cosser pointed out the obvious physical reaction of whiskey to save him from the otherwise inevitable chill. There was a sort of brigand's supper in the old bricked kitchen, with a row of dead rats lying in the moonlight against the hen-runs outside, and after thirty minutes or so of rest, Cosser roused them all to the labors that were still to do. Obviously, as he said. They had to wipe the place out. No litter, no scandal, see? He stirred them up to the idea of making destruction complete. They smashed and splintered every fragment of wood in the house. They built trails of chopped wood wherever big vegetation was springing. 
They made a pyre for the rat bodies and soaked them in paraffin. Bensington worked like a conscientious navvy. He had a sort of climax of exhilaration and energy towards two o'clock. When in the work of destruction he wielded an axe, the bravest fled his neighborhood. Afterwards he was a little sobered by the temporary loss of his spectacles, which were found for him at last in his side-coat pocket. Men went to and fro about him, grimy, energetic men. Cosser moved amongst them like a god. Bensington drank that delight of human fellowship that comes to happy armies, to sturdy expeditions, never to those who live the life of the sober citizen in cities. After Cosser had taken his axe away and set him to carry wood, he went to and fro, saying they were all good fellows. He kept on, long after he was aware of fatigue. At last all was ready, and the broaching of the paraffin began. The moon, robbed now of all its meager night retinue of stars, shone high above the dawn. "'Burn everything!' said Cosser, going to and fro. Burn the ground and make a clean sweep of it, see? Bensington became aware of him, looking now very gaunt and horrible in the pale beginnings of the daylight, hurrying past with his lower jaw projected and a flaring torch of touchwood in his hand. Come away, said someone, pulling Bensington's arm. The still dawn, no birds were singing there, was suddenly full of a tumultuous crackling. A little dull red flame ran about the base of the pyre, changed to blue upon the ground, and set out to clamber, leaf by leaf, up the stem of a giant nettle. A singing sound mingled with the crackling. They snatched their guns from the corner of the Skinner's living room, and then everyone was running. Cosser came after them with heavy strides. Then they were standing, looking back at the experimental farm. It was boiling up. The smoke and flames poured out like a crowd in a panic, from doors and windows and from a thousand cracks and crevices in the roof. Trust Cosser to build a fire. A great column of smoke, shot with blood-red tongues and darting flashes, rushed up into the sky. It was like some huge giant suddenly standing up, straining upward and abruptly spreading his great arms out across the sky. It cast the night back upon them, utterly hiding and obliterating the incandescence of the sun that rose behind it. All Hickley-Brow was soon aware of that stupendous pillar of smoke, and came out upon the crest, in various déshabillés, to watch them coming. Behind, like some fantastic fungus, this smoke pillar swayed and fluctuated up, up, into the sky, making the downs seem low and all other objects petty, and in the foreground, led by Cosser, the makers of this mischief followed the path, eight little black figures coming wearily, guns shouldered, across the meadow. As Bensington looked back, there came into his jaded brain and echoed there a familiar formula. What was it? You have lit today. You have lit today. Then he remembered Latimer's words. We have lit this day such a candle in England as no man may ever put out again. What a man Cosser was, to be sure. He admired his back view for a space, and was proud to have held that hat. Proud. Although he was an eminent investigator, and Cosser only engaged in applied science. 
Suddenly he fell shivering and yawning enormously, and wishing he was warmly tucked away in bed in his little flat that looked out upon Sloane Street. It didn't do even to think of Cousin Jane. His legs became cotton strands, his feet lead. He wondered if anyone would get them coffee in Hickley Brow. He had never been up all night for three and thirty years. 8. And while these eight adventurers fought with rats about the experimental farm, nine miles away, in the village of Cheesing Eyebright, an old lady with an excessive nose struggled with great difficulties by the light of a flickering candle. She gripped a sardine tin opener in one gnarled hand, and in the other she held a tin of Heracleophorbia, which she had resolved to open or die. She struggled indefatigably, grunting at each fresh effort, while through the flimsy partition the voice of the cattle's infant wailed. "'Bless his poor art,' said Mrs. Skinner, and then, with her solitary tooth biting her lip in an ecstasy of determination, "'Come up!' And presently, jab! A fresh supply of the food of the gods was let loose to wreak its powers of giantry upon the world. End of chapter 3